Let's go ahead and have prayer and we'll open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and how much you love us that, that you did give your son to die on the cross so that we would be redeemed and that without that we would have had no hope. And we just thank you and ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and, and look at the results of the fall of man. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This is the second saddest day in history, part two. <laughs> For those who weren't there last week, it was we talked about the fall of Adam and Eve and their sin. And how Satan showed up in the form of a serpent or dragon, you know, depending on how you want to look at that. Uh, tempted, tempted Eve and how the fact that Eve was standing next to the tree where she probably shouldn't have been in the first place. And worse yet, Adam was there with her. <laughs> And um, so we left off on verse 7. So we're going to read from verse 8 in chapter 3. And well, let's start with verse 7 for a little bit of context. And their eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, to, said The woman who you gave me, she gave me to eat the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it you have done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly you shall go, and, eat, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and it shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, and your conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And unto Adam he said, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your lives. Thorns and also and thistles shall it bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and unto and unto dust shall you return and adam called his wife's name eve because she is the mother of all living so we're going to stop there on the reading may may finish the chapter i don't know but we look at this and man sinned and his eyes were opened and they knew shame before that there was no shame there was no no compulsion to there was a problem they sinned, and all of a sudden, they had an illumination of shame. And they had a shame between themselves to start with, which should never have been there, because he was the per they were the perfect couple created for each other, and they had a shame and fear of God. And this happens to us so often that we, when we are walking in sin, we have a fear of God. And we've seen it over and over where somebody will sin, and instead of repenting and restoring their relationship with God, 
they pull away from God. They pull away from his word. They pull away from reading the Bible. They'll even pull away from church because they get around the people who are reading their Bible and talking about God, and they go, well, I don't want to be around them either. Why? Because of the shame of your condition that you're in, and you're trying to put the fig leaves that Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve took fig leaves to make garment. Now, fig leaves have multiple problems for being a garment. <laughs> now, uh, they tend to shrink as they start drying out. <laughs> they're a little itchy. Uh, they're pretty hard to sew together uh, and keep together. And these are the garments that they're using to try to cover themselves to appear before God. But you know, the garments that we try to use are no better off. We try to put our, our good works sewed together and put on us as righteousness when we appear before God. Isaiah 60, 64, 6 tells us that our righteousness is filthy rags. And isn't it amazing that we're going to try to put the best that we can do on our body, or at least our spiritual body, and then go appear before God and say, God, uh, don't I look good? <laughs> I've got these filthy, stinky, bloody pus-filled rags on me, and I really think you should take a look at me and say I really look good and accept me. And when God rejects that, people tend to get angry. Our works will never do any, any good for us. The wor our works will actually send us to hell because they're not perfect. God's standard is perfection. Jesus died for the sins of the world, so when people stand before God, they're going to stand in their good works or Jesus' works. We need to stand in Jesus' works and righteousness. Because if you stand before God in your own good works, well, now when you share the gospel with people and they go, well, I hope my good works are good enough to get me into heaven, your answer is very clearly, no, they will send you to hell. Your good works will send you to hell. Because they're not what we stand before God in. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he clothes us in his righteousness. And when God looks at us, he sees his perfect children clothed in the perfection of Jesus' righteousness. Adam and Eve hiding. God comes along. And the tense in here indicates that God kept doing this every night. He came every night in the cool of the evening to talk to them. Which meant that he came in a bodily form, which is a theophany or Christophany, if you want. It meant that Jesus appeared to them long before he was born, and talked to them every evening. And he comes along, and you can picture this. Normally, they probably ran to him. It's our creator here to teach us. This particular day, they're afraid of him and don't want to go anywhere near him. And he calls out, Adam, where are you? Now, we know that God is omnipresent. We know that God knew exactly where they were. So why did he call out, Adam, where are you? He's giving Adam the chance that he gives us, a chance to repent, to come to him and say, man, I have, I have made a mistake. I, I repent. I need forgiveness. It's the same thing he does for us. When we sin, he goes, Ralph, where are you? And I have an option at that time to go forward and say, man, I have really messed up God. You know, I repent. I, I have committed sin. I, you know, please take it off of me, or I can go try to hide. The only problem is you can't hide from God. He's going to find you. He's going to press the issue of your sin. 
Now, he doesn't just let the sin hang there without being dealt with. Now, we will say, I don't want to deal with it and make things worse and try to be miserable for some period of time. And if you've ever been there, you know that it's miserable not to, not to deal with the sin. And I'm sure everybody's here. I can't be the only one in the room that has not dealt with the sin and been miserable for a period of time. Uh, and eventually, you're either going to totally turn away from them and become rep, 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 reprobate, or you're going to turn and repent. And usually, you want to do it sooner than later. Because God has the habit of taking everything away from you if you want to keep pushing it. If you want to push your sin, he will do what it takes to bring you back to him. Sometimes that means losing your job, losing your home, losing most of your family, at least temporarily, while he puts you into the gutter. If that's what you want to do and you want to stay with angry and, and not deal with it that long, you don't have to go that far. But there are some people that have to go that far. God says, where are you? And they finally come out, we're hiding because we're afraid. And God goes into, well, who told you you were naked? Why, why are you afraid? And they really put him on the spot. Did you eat the fruit? <laughs> Did you eat the fruit? A direct question to them of, have you been disobedient? And... Guilt really will ruin a reputation with God. Because when we pull away from God, people look at us and say, well, what's wrong with that person? I thought they were a Christian. They're not following God. They're not, they're not living the life. And, you know, the kind of an interesting thing is once you're saved, even when you try to pull away from God, you know, how many of you have ever tried to pull away from God, you've been not walking with Him, and then you... Find yourself talking about him in every situation that you, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I remember a time when I walked away from God for a short period of time. I don't know that I witnessed more during that period of time, but I know I remember witnessing a lot back then because I felt like such a hypocrite. You know, people would say something, I'd go, you really need to go to church and go, go find God and read your Bible, and I hadn't been in church for over a year. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I knew the words to say. I knew the right answers, but I wasn't willing to bend and, and correct it. And I finally corrected it, and God was right there. God was right there. His reputation, it was still there. Our witness is still there. Maybe tarnished a little bit for a temporary period. But we look at this, and we, and we look at, he asked him, and Adam's the first one to speak up, and we all, Adam goes, the, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me to eat of the tree, and I did eat. Now, Adam kind of pointed both ways. God, it's your fault and her fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> you know, how many times do we do that when we fall? You know, God, it's your fault. You didn't protect me. On, it's this person's fault because they tempted me. God wants us to learn to confess our sin. Confess, the word confess in, in Hebrew is homologeo. It means say the same thing as. I've heard some people say, well, I made a mistake. That's not what God calls sin. Okay. Now, sin is a mistake, but it is so much more than a mistake. We need to get to the place where when we sin, we go, God, I have sinned against you. This is where David had to get 
after over a year after his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, the, the birth of that first child, the death of that first child, it's more than a year and David is still not confessed that he is guilty. And then in Psalm 51 he says, against you and you only have I sinned. He started to realize and he actually confessed and said, hey, I am sinning. I have sinned. We need to get to the place where we recognize that our sin is sin. It's not God's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. I didn't just happen to trip over the, the stump and fall down. Now I might have, but that was because I was in the wrong place in the first place. But God says we have to admit that we've done this. And, and we've talked about this in various Bible studies. Is In our world today, Satan is trying to redefine all the sins as sicknesses. Okay, and we see this over and over. Somebody is not a drunk, they're an alcoholic. They have the disease of alcoholism. You know, if you're a thief, you can be reclassified as a kleptomaniac. You're not a thief that's sinning, you're a kleptomaniac and have a disease that you just can't help. You're not a fornicator or an adulterer, you have a sexual addiction that you can't help. Why is Satan trying to do this in this world? He's trying to do it because if he can redefine these things as sicknesses, you aren't accountable for what you did. And this is why the world is pushing hard to make things sicknesses. Because if, it was, if, it, if a sickness can be a sin, then, then catching a cold or the flu would be a very simple thing to do. And that's not true. The body can get sick because of the fall of man. Satan is trying to work on getting these sins redefined. And almost anything that God calls a sin has been redefined in the psychology book as a sickness. We as Christians cannot buy into that logic because we cannot be accountable for something we have no, account, no, no control over. God calls them sin. We need to call them sin. Because until you call something a sin, you will not deal with it. As long as just a sickness or a weakness in my life, and I love that when people say, oh, I'm just weak in this area, I can't help it. Grow up, <laughs> call it what it is, and deal with it. Because as long as you're going to say, well, I'm just weak, you're not going to deal with it. Once you start calling it a sin, you're going to go, God, I need your help. I can't conquer this sin without your help. Adam points both directions. And then... At this point, God's not dealing with anybody. He turns to Eve, and Eve goes, and he goes, what have you, well, what have you done? And goes, the serpent, it's the serpent's fault. He tricked me. <laughs> okay. You know, we like to think things are so new, but the blame game has been going on <laughs> since the very beginning. <laughs> since the very beginning, the blame game has going, been going on. It's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. Uh, you look at this, though. And when he turns to the serpent, God does not give Satan an opportunity to speak. <laughs> now, he's given Adam a chance to speak. He's given Eve a chance to speak. Either one of them could have said, you know, we've sinned. We need, you know, we need your, you know, your forgiveness. Okay, they're playing the blame game. But when he turns to the serpent, he doesn't even give Satan a chance to speak. Verse 14, and the Lord said unto the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all the cattle and above all every beast of the field. Upon your, your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and it shall bruise your head, 
and you shall bruise his heel. Satan had an additional curse. Okay, Satan has already been cast out of heaven for his rebellion against God. And if you don't know the history, we'll give you just a quick history of Lucifer. Lucifer was the archangel of all archangels. In Ezekiel, he was the son of the morning. He, he was the one in charge of all the angels. He stood on the holy hill with God, but not beside God. And he directed all the praise to God. His body is talked about having pipes and, and musical instruments actually built into his body, which is why he uses music the way he does. He, he was the, the chief cherub. And somehow he got pride into, into him and said, I don't like my job. <laughs> I don't want to be the one who is ministering. Even though I'm the top dog, I don't want to be the one ministering. And it says that he took a third of the angels with him. Now, the good news is that there's two angels to every one demon. <laughs> All right? If you, you know, we have no desire or need to be afraid of demons. God can have two, two angels onto every single one of the demons. And they are created beings. God is powerful, for, more powerful. Lucifer is not, or Satan is not, God's e opposite equal. He is a created being who is tied to a chain, and God says you can only do so much. Job is a great example of that, that Satan had to go and ask permission to do anything to Job. Job's not the only one. He's just the one that shows us what goes on. <laughs> Every one of us, when, when we have problems, is because God has allowed that problem to come our way. And we may go, well, uh, I don't like the problems God gave, has put in my way. Well, you know what? I don't like the problems God puts in my way either. <laughs> but he is sovereign. And he has promised in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 10, 13 that no temptation is, is above what we can handle. How do we handle it? Through him. <laughs> you know, no matter what he gives us, if we go to him, he will get us through it. And these temptations are designed that if we don't turn to him, we will fall. Because it's a test to see if we're going to turn to him. Which means when you've been walking with God longer and you have a little more experience, your test by, by default is going to be a harder test. Good news for all of us who've been walking for God for a long time, the tests just get harder. <laughs> you know, until we get to go home. <laughs> it will keep getting harder and harder until we go home. Why? Because we know him better. It also gets easier, though, because we've also learned by experience to turn to him. So the tests themselves get harder, but we learn by experience, hopefully, to turn to him faster. So in one sense, the tests are not that, that difficult because we, we have just had such a relationship. Okay, God, this is your problem. Uh, I tell people about three years ago, we went, through, we went through an issue, and it was like everybody around me was more concerned about the problem than I was. And it's like, then what are you going to do? Well, God's going to take care of it. <laughs> God's going to take care of it. I, no amount of worrying is going to help me, and if I worry about it, I'm going to lose the two days I'm in this conference, so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to enjoy the conference and God figure out how he's going to solve the problem. I haven't always done that, but I'm getting better in my life of doing that. <laughs> but that's an encouragement for us. When we have a big problem in front of us, turn it to God. We're told in Peter, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. And note the word all. 
He doesn't want us just to say, okay, God, I can handle these, uh, these cares. I think I can deal with these ones. Yeah. Why worry about any of it? Cast it on to God. Now, that doesn't mean we don't think about issues or plan, make plans, but don't worry about them. Now, most of what you worry about does not matter anyway. It doesn't happen. Uh, I heard somebody this week, they were going, 80% of your problems never ha- that you worry about never happen. 14% of the ones that you do worry about aren't important enough to spend all, your li- all that time worrying about. And the other six, why, you know, <laughs> you know like you're going to let God deal with those ones anyway. So <laughs> we want to be able to look at this. And, and here Satan is c- condemned. He's now tempted Adam and Eve and made them fall. And God says, you're going to crawl on your belly. He's going to be made to bow before God again, whether he wanted to or not. And he's going to eat the dust. Now, one of the definitions in the Hebrew for dust is death. Lucifer eats death all the time. He is the father of liars and he is dead. Because true life is in Jesus Christ and God. When you, before you're saved, you are, you know, in, in today's vernacular, a walking zombie. You have a dead spirit. You have a body that's animated and it's dead before Christ. We start eternal life the moment we accept Jesus Christ and he comes into our life and he makes us alive again like we were supposed to be in the beginning. Lucifer consumes death and nothing but death. And he is a liar. He loves to lie to us. And you know what? His lies are never original. And we talk a lot about Ecclesiastes saying there's nothing new under the sun. And there is nothing new under the sun. The blame game goes all the way back. Uh, his temptations are always the same. God doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. He, you know, he's trying to keep you from something. We talked about all those last week. You know, that's his mentality. He's going to share it with people and try to make them distrust God. How easy sometimes is it for us to distrust God? This is why it's important for us to be in his word, be in fellowship with other believers. Read, read biographies of other great Christians and see how God helped and delivered them. Because we need to know that we can trust God. And the good news about this is if you read the Bible, you know that God trust, that they trusted him. Now, of course, the Bible, people will say, well, the Bible's, you know, Four to, six, four to two thousand years old. Okay, big deal. Okay, well, uh, how about the biographies of some of the great Christians? Let's go back only 60, 100, 200, 400 years, uh, even a thousand years. God has always delivered his people. Always helped them. Always met their needs. You want a good book on learning about answered prayer, get the book about, on praying Hyde's life. He ran, he ran all kinds of of orphanages and many times they would get ready for breakfast and they didn't have any food for the kids (laughs) and they'd be sitting down giving grace and thanking God for the food that they were about to about to eat and somebody would knock on the door with a with a cartload of food (laughs) okay you want to talk about somebody who learned that God answers prayer read his story read Annie's favorite book the hiding place with Corey Ten Boom and all the miraculous things that he did in their life you know, Brother Andrew, as he smuggles Bibles into, into the foreign countries and the way God answers his prayers. And then you go, well, he did it there. But you know, the best one is when we get together as a body and we go, you know what God did this week? 
he healed, you know, he healed me or he provided, you know, I needed to pay this bill and this check came in the mail or a job came open or I needed to get this fixed and I just happened to find somebody that knew how to fix it and was willing to help me. And as you say, it just happened to. <laughs> you know, God was there. We need to know that we can trust God. Because Satan's attack is always you can't trust God. And we need to mark our own life. Where has God touched our life? Write it down in a book someplace. For the little places where God's touched your life. And when you get to a place where you don't think that God is helping you, open that book up and read the places where, oh, God did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. I've told you one of my favorite hymns is Count Your Blessings. You know, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It's not positive thinking, but it is the truth. When we concentrate on what God is doing, we start getting more trust. He told, the, told Lucifer that there was going to be enmity between the woman and, and Satan and her seed and his seed. Now, kind of an interesting phrase because this is the first proclamation of the coming of Jesus Christ. And it is also telling us that it will be from a virgin because it tells us it will be her seed. And we don't speak of the woman as having the seed. The woman has the egg and the man has the seed. And that's all the way, always the way it's referred to except in this verse where it says her seed which tells us it was going to be the woman and not the man. And this is the first proclamation, and we've talked about this. You know, when they sinned, this did not surprise God. He knew that they were going to sin. They had already been planned, and he already knew how they were going to fix this before they even fell, because Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and he had agreed with the Father that, yes, we're going to create the man, they're going to fall, and, we're, and I'm going to die so they can be redeemed. And so when he's talking to them right after the fall, this is the plan. I'm going to send a redeemer. He's going to come from the woman. And there's a lot of theology involved in that, a theology that sin is transferred by the man because he was the one that was, was, in, was in the position of authority and therefore he gave up that authority and that sin was transferred through the, through the man and not the woman. Uh, really is irrelevant, seems like you... Other than Jesus, you can't have a birth without both. <laughs> so it's, uh, but there's a lot of different thoughts on this. And, he's, and he says that the serpent is going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. I call this the second saddest day of the, in the history. In the, and of course, this is talking about the first saddest day, the day that Jesus paid for sin and died. His heel was bruised for three days. And then, of course, the, the greatest day in history is the resurrection. <laughs> he came back from the dead and victorious and crushed Satan and, and took the victory that Satan thought he had on the cross and said, I am taking back the keys of authority for this world. And all goes back to this, this verse. Verse 16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, and in sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. The woman's got a, got a curse here. And we read in English, there's two words for sorrow, and they're different words. <laughs> 
So we're going to look at both of those words for just a moment. She is going to have a life, and it says the first thing is that he was going to multiply, greatly multiply your sorrow. This sorrow in the, in the Greek has the idea of toil and work, but it has the idea also of emotional pain. And I know it's a generality, but most women suffer more with worry and concerns about their kids and concerns about what's going on in their families than men do. And it's a result of this curse. <laughs> they were cursed with the desire, the, the, the desire to be worried. And I've talked to a lot of mothers and they're oftentimes worried about, you know, well, you know, my kid's doing this, my kid's doing that, uh, you know, and they start to worry a lot earlier even than that, you know, my kid's got to look good when they go to school, and hope they get a good job, they find the right, they find the right spouse, and, you know, the constant worries, constant emotional sorrow that they go through, all because of the curse. And then it says, and, and your conception. In one sense, this is a good thing for Eve. She's being promised she's going to have children, even though she is no longer perfect. She's still saying there's you know, going to be children. And then it says, In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband. A burning desire for her husband. It also indicates in the Hebrew a desire to control. This is kind of an interesting place. God created Eve to be the helpmate for Adam. Created to be his equal, to be his fulfillment. And because of this sin, she is going to have a desire to rule. And it says, but your husband will have dominion over you. God puts a hierarchy here now, and a hierarchy that she's going to chafe at. <laughs> That whole idea of supposed to be an equal, and now there's a hierarchy of the family. And it is, we think about this battle of the sexes that, you know, we think is so new. It's been there for an awful long time. We can see it in Genesis. You know, Sarah going to Abraham and saying, you know, well, you know, we're not getting this kid going to my handmaiden, and then, then accusing him of, of doing bad things because he went in and had a child that made fun of her child, and, you know, had all these kind of problems. We see this battle all through the scriptures. We see this battle all through history. All from the curse. You know, what would it be like if this curse had never happened? You know, we can't even contemplate what it would have been like to live in a perfect place. One of the reasons I, we have trouble even contemplating heaven. What will heaven be like? In place of perfection. Everybody's definition of perfection is a little different because it's all tainted by sin. Some people who like to be in charge of everything, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be a place where I can be in charge of everything because that would be perfection. I don't think that's what heaven's going to be about. Uh, you know, so we don't know what it is. Then he turns to Adam and he says, And Adam, he said, Because you have hearkened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of the, of the tree which I commanded you not, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow you will eat of it all the days of your life. This is again the word for emotional pain. 
And for men, our emotional pain is a little different. We're, we're worried about are we taking care of our family well enough? Am I providing well enough? Am I, am I getting things done? And God told him the earth was not going to give its full force. Now, we talked about this. His job in the Garden of Eden was to be a gardener. His job after the Garden of Eden is to be a gardener. Except now he has to work. And remember last week we talked about how hard was his work in the Garden of Eden. Well, I think this fruit needs to come off this tree. Uh, this leaf might need to come off. I think we need a tree over there. <laughs> you know, plants it, no problem, soft ground. Plants a tree wherever he wants to plant it. Plants a, a flower wherever they want a flower to go. Real hard job. <laughs> and now he has to toil at it. He's going to plant this stuff and thorns and thistles and weeds are going to grow up. You know, and he's going to now pull all those out of the garden. He's going to have to keep them out and the plants aren't going to produce at full force anymore. He has a double problem. Now he's working. Now he's having to do all this work to make it clean. And we end up with that same problem in our lives. It takes a lot of work. A lot of work just to stay with God. A lot of work to keep us alive physically. And the whole op operation of this was that they could eat of the herbs of the field. We didn't really push this last week, but you know, God created everything to be vegetarian. Including all the animals because there's no death and it was created. You know, so we want to keep that in mind. We were created to be vegetarians. God gave us permission in, in Genesis 9 to eat, food, eat meat. And the animals started eating meat at the same time. Before that, can you imagine a world where everything was a vegetarian? You could go up and pet the lion, the tigers, the, all the animals. Yeah, I've always, always wanted to be able to do that. <laughs> but you could back in that day because everything just ate grass and fruit. And it says that you will work by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. We were not created to die. We die because of the curse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We die because of sin. We die because we are sinners. We don't, you know, and we are sinners because we were born that way. This is the other thing we have to understand as Christians. The world keeps wanting to tell us, you know, you're a blank slate, you can be good. You can be good if you just tried hard enough or you got trained correctly. Well, I had four kids and I don't remember ever teaching any of my kids how to be selfish and, and stingy and, <laughs> and disobedient. Uh, and you know, when we have the millennial kingdom, it's gonna be God's ultimate proof to the world that even though you live in a perfect environment, a sinless environment, you will still sin at the, given the opportunity. Because Satan will come at the end of that millennial kingdom and tempt them and they will rebel, many will rebel against God. It will be the final proof to people that we are evil. We are evil in our flesh. This is why we're told in Galatians that we have to crucify, our flesh has to be crucified. We are crucified never lest we live. I am crucified with Christ. He crucifies our flesh so that we can live in righteousness. 
Because we can't do it in our own strength. And then the last thing we'll mention on this one is, and E and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And remember last week we talked about her original name was Isha, and he was Ish. They were one, man and woman, one with no name, because she was one with him in perfect marriage union. At best, she would have been called Adam by, because she was one with God, and now she's got a name. She is separate from him because of the curse. And we face that same separateness to this day when we're to be married and we're supposed to be one, and we don't have that oneness because of the sin and because of the curse. And here, we're seeing her now as a separate individual who has been totally lost, and she's got now a new name a new name that separates her from her husband because of sin. And Adam is the one that gives that to her. She's no longer just Ish and Isha, Adam. She's now Adam and Eve because of the fall. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We look at this very sad day in history where man fell and the curse came and separated everything. Lord, we ask that you help us to follow you, to learn to totally depend on you and to let you into our lives. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this that doesn't know you as their Savior, we ask that they will recognize that they're a sinner because of what you say that all have sinned and that they deserve punishment. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, your gift, is eternal life. And that they will call upon Jesus and turn and repent from their sins and call upon Jesus and ask him into their heart. And a very simple prayer, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. Come into my life and save me. Make me a new creation. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.